to this podcast of Where Have All the Children Gone? This is a deep dive true crime podcast that looks at the evil that affects our children and may be difficult to listen to. This episode contains graphic and mature themes which some might find offensive and is not recommended for young children. This case especially is actually has to do with a crime perpetrated against a young child by an adult. I'd like to thank WBOC.com, FoxNews.com, FindAGrave.com, CBS.com, and a special thanks to a blog called Chilling Crimes, because that's where I first learned about this case. They all helped me put this case together for you for this podcast. That being said, my name is Allie, and this is Snatched in the Night. It was the 23rd of December, 2009. The feeling of good cheer was in the air. Trees were being trimmed. Gifts were being bought for family and friends. Great grandmas everywhere were being picked up and brought home for the holidays. In two days, they would celebrate the birth of Jesus and the blessings of family. It was guaranteed to be a white Christmas this year in Salisbury, Maryland, but the thought of Christmas was greatly overshadowed by dread because 11-year-old Sarah Foxwell was missing. Sarah Haley Foxwell was one of eight siblings. She was nicknamed Hadybug by her family. She was a sixth grade student at the Wacomico Middle School and she was said to be bright and very lighthearted. Although her mother and father were still alive, Sarah and her six-year-old sister Emma lived with their maternal aunt, Amy Fothergill, who was their legal guardian. They all lived in a converted farmhouse. After eating a pizza around 9 p.m., Sarah and Emma changed into Christmas-themed pajamas, and although they were excited about their Christmas plans, they finally went to bed in a room they shared, which is at the back of the house at the end of a hall that led to the back door. According to a CNN news report, the grandfather was the one that was home with the girls that night, but their aunt Amy was not. I was not able to find any report as to where Aunt Amy was. Probably she had to work a night shift someplace, and that's why she wasn't home, because she arrives home at around 7 o'clock. And when she returns that morning, she discovered Sarah was missing. She called Jennifer, Sarah's mother, who lived out of state, and they both reported her missing to the police. Wicomico County Sheriff Mike Lewis and Sergeant David Owens led the entire sheriff department to Amy's house. The only item found missing was her green toothbrush. Although there was no forced entry and the family dog didn't even bark but they didn't believe Sarah left home by her own accord. They believed she was snatched by someone familiar with the house and with the family. All the windows and doors were locked except the back door near the girl's room. It was open and the spare key that was left in a flower pot in the garden was missing. They immediately issued a statewide Amber Alert. It was Christmas Eve and the only gift Aunt Amy, Sister Emma and Mother Th Jennifer wanted was a safe return of Sarah. 
Emma told her family she knew who took Sarah. She told them that she had pretended to be asleep when a man she knew by the name of Mr. Tommy entered their bedroom. She said he was the one who had Sarah and said he was wearing blue jeans, an orange jacket, and white sneakers. Tommy's full name was Thomas Legs Jr. The 30-year-old knew the family well because he had dated Amy. While they dated, Thomas was at their house regularly and spent time with the children. Their relationship had ended and they hadn't heard from him for over a month. Amy confirmed he did know where she kept the spare key and he did know which room was the girl's room. The police knew Thomas all too well. He has been a predator since his late teens and he was a registered sex offender in both Maryland and Delaware. In Delaware, he was considered a high-risk offender. He had previously been in prison for molesting a 12-year-old girl in Salisbury and for assaults on two children in a local mall and a 16-year-old in Delaware's Rehoboth Beach Boardwalk. He had also been arrested and accused of assaulting a 24-year-old woman a few months prior. The woman stated he had broken into her home at 4 a.m. and was standing over her bed undressing himself. He lived in a shed on his parents' home, which was just a few miles from Sarah's house. Also living at the property was his sister and her three children, which now is a separate investigation to see if those children have been harmed. Despite his continued recidivism, he was out on bond, allowed to roam the streets when Sarah disappeared. He was known to have molested children her age, but he had never killed anyone, so while they searched, they expected to find Sarah alive. They had brought Thomas in for questioning, and they told him to give himself up and tell him where Sarah was because they had a witness that saw him at the house that night. He said that he was at a bar in Salisbury until after one, and after that he went home. No one could verify where he was between 1 a.m. and 7 a.m. Since he claimed to be at home, they checked his phone records. That night, he had sent text messages to multiple women to meet up with them. They all declined. Smart girls. In the early morning, during the time which Sarah disappeared, his phone pinged off of three different cell towers. This gave the police a specific area to search for Sarah, because he wasn't helping them at all. Interesting enough, though, he was wearing the same blue jeans, orange jacket, and white sneakers that Emma had described. The cell towers pinged so they focused on an area off Melson Road, east of Rumridge Road in Del Mar. On Christmas morning, children everywhere were opening their gifts, but not in Salisbury. Despite the holiday, over 3,000 of its residents put aside their family Christmas and volunteered to help search for Sarah. They joined the police who had already been searching with canines and experts in fugitive tracking. Everyone was hoping for that Christmas miracle. Officers from surrounding communities came on horseback and ATVs to scour the woods, fields, and roadside ditches for Sarah, 
while helicopters search from the air. But despite all the searchers and all the prayers, a Christmas miracle was not to be. At approximately 4 p.m., Sarah's body was found in a wooded area on Lily Lane. In one report, I heard that this was like on the borderline between Delaware and Maryland. In between the two areas, he has been molesting and been arrested for these molestations. Sarah had been sexually assaulted and brutally murdered. She was found on her back and her arms were stretched towards the sky with her fists clenched. Now, although I know this is probably response to part of what killed her, part of me wants to believe that somehow this was her last victory, knowing that she, that she would get justice for this. Her death was ruled a homicide by the coroner, and Tommy was charged with murder. The evidence against Thomas was strong. First, we have Emma's eyewitness testimony, and she identified him in a lineup. Sarah's green toothbrush, along with a lollipop, was found in his gold 2003 Dodge Ram. Also, Sarah's hair, along with fibers from that special Christmas-themed pajamas, were found on the passenger's side of the truck. Tire marks in the snow near Sarah's home matched his truck, and the DNA from his underwear matched Sarah's DNA, and his DNA was found on her. Police believe that Thomas had kidnapped Sarah from her bedroom in the middle of the night and sexually assaulted her. The autopsy revealed Sarah had multiple injuries to her bodies, injuries such as asphyxia, smoke inhalation, hypothermia, and burns, contributed to her death. Police believe she, he had, after he had sexually assaulted Sarah, he did everything he could think of to hide his crime, since he knew Sarah could identify him. Based on the debris found in her lungs, the police believed he initially tried to drown her in some muddy water. When that didn't work, he left and returned with a container of gasoline and tried to burn Sarah's body while she was still alive, based on the soot in her lungs. Now, most likely those fists raised the air were caused by the burning, but again, I like it to think that she left something that she knew she left that would show who the perpetrator of this crime was and that justice would prevail. Due to the brutality and cruelty of the crime, the state of Maryland wanted to seek the death penalty. But due to the wishes of the victim's family, the prosecutor reached the conclusion that despite the fact the law provides for the penalty of death and that they personally felt that Thomas Legs deserved to be executed, as do I. However, they didn't feel they should force Sarah Foxwell's family to suffer a life of constant upheaval and turmoil. A death sentence for Thomas Legs would have resulted in a life sentence for the Foxwell family. So a plea deal was offered to Thomas, which he quickly accepted once he was told about the DNA evidence. He received two life sentences without parole for the first-degree murder and first-degree sexual assault against Sarah. The sentences were to run consecutively, 
as were the sentences he was given for kidnapping and burglary. The only good thing was the plea deal meant Emma would not have to testify at trial. Thomas should have never had the opportunity to even meet Sarah. He was not safe around children. Despite how he presented himself to the public, his convictions told the real truth about his lack of character. His prior sentences were never good enough. He was a man convicted of serious crime, yet he was released early despite his recidivism. He should never have been let out on bond. The only good thing is Legs will spend the rest of his life behind bars under this plea agreement. The option for the death penalty was removed while ensuring he would stay incarcerated by making the two life sentences run one after the other without the possibility of parole, which means if for some reason the first life sentence was changed or he, some, they found some technicality for something, he would go right into the second life sentence. And the day he could have possibly been paroled from the second life sentence, his 30-year burglary, excuse me, 30-year kidnapping charge would start. And if for some reason he got off for good behavior from that kidnapping, the 20 years for the burglary would start. Chances are there's just no way he is going to get out of prison. He will spend the rest of his life, hopefully in some shithole, to ponder about what he did to these poor little children and a couple adults. Now, while in 2011, while he was at the Western Correctional Institute, Legs was assaulted by an unknown assailant. According to the Maryland Department of Corrections spokesman, Mark Veronelli, Legs was slashed three times in the head, neck, and hand with a homemade weapon. Veronelli said the fight happened on Sunday, May 1st, 2011, in the prison's inmate dining hall. Investigators who recovered the weapon are still trying to identify Legs attacker and Legs was treated in the prison for his injuries and did not require hospitalization. I'm sorry, but too bad. He deserved to require hospitalization. It's too bad the prison wasn't more effective. After the attack, Legs requested to be put in protective custody, but his request was denied. Protective custody is primarily reserved for former police, correctional officers, and prisoners that they know have enemies. He appealed this decision in the state court. The court reviewed the motion and found no hearing was necessary pursuant to Local Rule 105.6. So he'll remain in general pop. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Now, you may think I'd be a little hard, but... A lot of things are forgivable for me, and I, I know we have to forgive because that's what God tells us to do. And the only person that could forgive this man and turn him on the right track is God. But when it comes to somebody that does things to children, it angers me, especially, you know, the first time, okay, you understand nobody knew he had this little problem. But he should have been on some type of monitoring for the rest of his life to make sure he didn't recidivate. Wasn't a recidivist, that's the right way to put it. Instead, once he serves his time, he's let loose. 
although they know that recidivism is very, very, very high in child sex offenders. And when this man has already sexually molested more than three children and also did things to adults, I mean, come on. Why do you let him out on bond? Why isn't he monitored 24 hours a day? These are little children. They're defenseless. I would bet this aunt had no idea of his past. I guess now it's come to a day where anytime you date anyone when you have kids or where you're going to bring them around kids, you got to run them through the sex offender uh, computers and make sure he's not a sex offender, that he has no warrants out. We need to have better laws that protect our children from these offenders because the list is not small. It is long. And unfortunately, you also hear more cases that even involve the fathers of these children, which I find even more despicable. And I'm sure that this town, Salisbury, feels the same. Because now each year, when holiday preparations are in motion, the memory of little Sarah's murder, the town's Christmas angel, will always stain their white Christmas. It's a memory you don't want at a time of Christmas of joy when you're sharing with your family. But that's one thing I have to admire about this town. They're not leaving the Foxwell family to remember her by themselves. They too remember her as their Christmas angel, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, it's a little shorter than some, but I think that it sets the point pretty straight of what, what happened there. It really wasn't needing to be any longer. Tell me what you think. Do you side with Thomas? Do you side with the family or myself about this perpetrator? Leave me a message. I'll give you a shout out at truecrimechildren at gmail.com. Sometimes it's easier to deal with crimes children commit against children because you can sit there and justify, well, they're just children. Maybe they didn't know, even though I believe that they did. But the fact that these people don't get intervened strong enough or watched strong enough from their first offense allows them to commit this crime over and over again. And the minute they get out of prison, they do it again. I guess there's just no crime. There's just some crimes that you just can't rehabilitate people from, or we can't. I know God can, but they have to want to be rehabilitated. And so far that I've read on any of these, they weren't. They weren't sorry for what they did. They were just sorry that they got caught. Anyway, I'm rambling. This is Allie signing off for Where Have All the Children Gone?